It's been a long time. We shouldn't have left you. What's going on, everyone? And welcome into another edition of Open Run presented to you by none other than more media. My name is Gabriel Wilkins, and I'm joined by none other than my backcourt mate, as well as host and senior NBA writer for War Media, Josh Hicks, for the first official episode of 2023, several days into the new calendar year. How you been holding up, bro? Been holding up well, man. I'm glad to start the 2023 year with, obviously, my eloquent speaking co-host, man, because it wouldn't be right without you. <laughs> I appreciate it, man, you know. This week's edition of Open Run is jam-packed. We've got a lot to talk about, ranging from the state of affairs pertaining to several teams across the association who are fighting either to maintain or elevate upward in their respective conferences playoff picture, in addition to the Bulls also. But now that we got all of the formalities out of the way, i got to ask you, Josh, what are the things that have caught your eye across the world of basketball over the last couple of weeks while we were in the midst of our downtime period due to the holidays and whatnot, it's been some big time performances, out of 50 pointers, some 60 pointers, even a 70 pointer. <laughs> I know, right? All the all of them are just crazy numbers to put up. And I and obviously I'm gonna leave those to you because you're just the basketball guru when it comes to numbers. So I'm leaving all <laughs> that to you. However, <laughs> one person that I'm going to acknowledge had a birthday over the holidays. Matter of fact, he had it right before the new year. And my man just turned 38. And he said, I'm going to let you guys know that even at 38, I can still ball at a high level, dropping 47 points. And the King James himself, I, I don't know what's shocking to you, the fact that he's dropping 47 in year 20, or the fact that I'm not going to lie, he don't look 38. That all the millions, all the millions that he got, you know, that whatever skin routine he's doing, the calm app that he sleeps with, whatever he does, it works out perfectly because my man does not look 38 years old at all. The only thing that may give it away is the hairline, but we're not going to worry about that right now. We're not going to worry about that right now. He, right now, he's showing that even at 38 years old, I'm still one of the top scorers in the league. I'm still one of the best overall all-around players in the league. And I can still get the job done when it's needed the most. That is something special to acknowledge going into this new year, especially since this is the same person that in the next few games, most likely, or even a couple, you know, the next few games, he's gonna he's gonna pass Kareem Abdul Jabbar as the number one scorer in this league, which is something none of us predicted when he came out of high school came out of high school to the NBA in, in 2003. So that is something that for me was very special amongst the other things that you have mentioned. And I'm going to leave the floor to you to mention, because clearly that's, that's your, that's right up your alley, brother. So you got it. Hey, I appreciate it, man. You know, you got to do your homework before you go into these podcast studios and do your shows, but LeBron James has definitely reached the fountain of youth and he's damn near averaging 30 a game, which is an accomplishment in itself. When you consider the fact that he's damn near 40 years old and might I add in year 20 of his career, still setting records, setting the bar higher than it's ever been set before. You just don't see that every day in sports, let alone in the game of basketball. But I want to thank Jason Kidd, man, for finally hearing my prayers and starting Christian Wood and making some tweets to his lineup, which as a result has helped Dallas to elevate up from 10th in the West to 4th overall in the Western Conference playoff picture since we recorded 
an episode together last prior to this new year coming about. One of those tweaks involves a player who caught my eye over the last several days and is a rookie that I believe not only should have been a first-round pick, but also a consistent guy in Dallas's rotation from the time the season began, and that's Jaden Hardy, whom the Mavericks recently waived Kimball Walker to grant him a look and also provide Hardy with more minutes off the bench. Since Walker got waived last weekend, Hardy's been taking full advantage of the opportunity and he stepped up, man, for a Mavericks squad that is still without the likes of Maxi Cleaver through that hamstring and, and Josh Green as well, averaging 13 points on 56% shooting from the floor, shooting 50% from deep. He's helped to provide Dallas with a major spark off of the bench. And it served as a second threat next to Luka. He gets to the rim, man. He had attacking off the catch, pushing the pace and transition, or breaking you know, a, a, a defender down in space as of late. And I believe that the more he plays alongside of Luka, the more he's going to have a chance of being able to attack over-aggressive defenders on closeouts and utilize his ability to finish at the cup, including those who overplay him on the drive. His teams are going to have to respect Hardy's ability to shoot from beyond the arc as well. This guy has lead range. He's been had lead range since high school. I don't know what the scouts were thinking with this guy. You know, for him to fall all the way to the second round of Dallas, it, it, it was a godsend. But he knows how to read these defenses, man, as well as how to react to them. And he's shown on nights, even when the shots aren't falling, that he can still score at an effective level and an efficient level off of the dribble, despite not being the volume scorer that he's displayed the ability to be at previous levels. He's getting it done. And if he continues to get more minutes, I would not be shocked if you see him carve out a six-man role for Dallas and Dallas potentially seeking to maybe let go of Tim Hardaway Jr. in the trade deadline if he continues the ball out like he has. Granted, his last game, I think he had under 10 points and he shot maybe two for eight from the field. But this is a guy who, as Bulls fans should know, when he was playing a lot of minutes in garbage time when Luka was down in was sitting on the second night of a back-to-back -back in early December, he put up about 14 real quick ones on the Bulls and, and, and looked like a vet by doing it. He's been ripping the G League up. I just got to give credit to him. Thomas Bryan's another guy I can give credit to for the Lakers, Anthony Lamb for the Warriors, but it's a forward, man, on the college level, on the West Coast portion of the map. I got to give a ton of praise to NBA draft talent evaluator, Got it. I know you're familiar with having an interview for your in the scope pod, Josh, and that's Rashad Phillips. He put me up on this dude early in the year. I believe he has a great eye when it comes to assessing talent. This guy's a mid-major prospect out of Las Vegas who can be a guy that makes impacts on both ends of the floor at the next level. And he's likely to sneak his way into the draft lottery, if not the green room, come later on this June. And that's Maxwell Lewis, a forward mm -hmm. out of Pepperdine, six foot seven. Sophomore got a 6'10 wingspan. He's arguably one of the most efficient scoring wings in this year's draft class. He can score as a spot up shooter, can create for himself off the dribble as well as a variety of other ways, driving at a cup with his pull up game. And he knows how to use his size effectively enough to post up and get you a bucket. I understand he plays in the West Coast Conference. Pepperdine's schedule isn't as strong as most schools across the country may be that are among the top of the top or in the top 25. He scored at least 20 points or more in several consecutive outings, 
shot 60% or better from the floor in three of those outings. One of those coming recently in the road outing against number 10 Gonzaga, where Lewis put up 25 and five on 19 for 14, shooting from the floor in front of a handful of NBA scouts in Spokane. So, I mean, he features sizes the position that you can't teach. You create for others as well. Something that I think he's only going to get better at with time the more and more I watch him on tape. It's a guy in Oklahoma City right now who rose up the draft boards a year ago and into the draft lottery. He came out of the same conference out of Santa Clara by the name of Jalen Williams. Yeah, currently shining and putting together a nice rookie campaign for himself with the Thunder out in OKC. And as a player that you're likely going to see take center stage in the Rising Stars game during All-Star Weekend in Utah, I think Maxwell Lewis could very well be next on deck next season. Watch out for him. Hey, that's, I don't. I feel you, man. I feel you. Anytime you mention a prospect that comes from the name of Rashad Phillips, should get that should scare you because that's how yeah. talented this dude really is and how spot yeah. on he really is with a lot of his prospects when it comes to evaluating the talent across college basketball and high school basketball in general. Rashad Phillips, there's no reason why he should not be in someone's front office right now. I agree. Talk. Real talk, because the dude is that talented when it comes to I am the right talent and providing the, a proper nouns or pronouns to, uh, to tie with the skill set that that player uh, possesses each and every day on the court, man. So for Rashad Phillips to pull up, point out that specific talent, and that specific talent is balling right now, that doesn't, it doesn't surprise me at all because that's what he does. He's Yoda for a reason. <laughs> He's Yoda for a reason. So that definitely uh, doesn't surprise me at all. But I'm surprised you didn't mention this, the 50, the 60, then the 70 scores, my brother. Because oh, we're going to get to that. We're definitely going to get to that because it's a scoring boom going across the uh, entire association. Oh, and, yeah. you know, I, I, I agree with what you said about Rashad Phillips. You know, if you know, you know, the dude is a hell of a talent evaluator. But I took out the time to watch him with my own eyes. And I see exactly what he's talking about. And he's saying, man, that this could be a guy that's easily a 25 and 5 guy in the league. And it's hard not to like what I see from a man just because the, the tape stands out. And one thing about the current state of basketball right now, you can find a lot of hidden gems in places because there's so many guys that are getting under-recruited. Yeah. A lot of power five programs and scouts oftentimes sleep on. We've seen it in drafts past. We just brought up Jalen Williams, John Morant. Look at what he's doing now. Was a, wasn't a power five guy. It, it, the list goes on and on, man. But I want to move on and get right into the show this week, cutting to the chase. Talk about these NBA all-star voting. First fan return tallies. L.A. Laker forward LeBron James and Brooklyn Nets forward Kevin Durant lead the Western and Eastern Conference, respectively, in the first fan returns of NBA all-star voting which was released this past week as the two superstars have managed to accumulate over 3 million plus votes thus far to start in this year's event out in Salt Lake City. James is projected to be joined by Nikola Jokic of the Denver Nuggets and his Lakers mate Anthony Davis in the front court who each rank second and third in the first and return tallies among front court players in the West while Buckstar Ford, Giannis Antetokounmpo and Sixers center Joel and B also finished second and third, respectively, in the initial fan return tallies 
among the front court guys in the East is the two all-star starters from last year, currently projected to start right beside Durant and the NBA's premier Gala once again. Stephen Curry and Kyrie Irving joined James and Durant as the top vote getters at their respective position groups as the two guards currently lead the voting among West and East guards, respectively. Dallas Mavs guard Luka Doncic and Cleveland Cavaliers guard Donovan Mitchell currently stand in second place among guards and fan voting for the second starting spot in the backcourt, also within their respective conferences. Bulls guard DeMar DeRozan 6-6 through the first fan returns of all-star voting among guards in the Eastern Conference. I'll I, I tell you what, what I took away from it, man, before I pass it over to you, Josh. I don't know how in the world Jalen Brunson and De'Aaron Fox are not in the top 10 among guards within their respective conferences in the first fan return talent, despite having career years on teams that have surprised many thus far this year. I just don't get it. Like I saw up there that Austin Reeves has gotten more votes than De'Aaron Fox. Jordan Poole, I guess I could kind of understand it because he plays for Golden State. But at the same time, I still think that you could make a case for De'Aaron Fox having more all-star votes than Jordan Poole. And then you got Derrick Rose garnering more votes among guards in the East, and Jalen Brunson, when he's the third-string guard on the team, behind quickly? I don't know, man. A lot of these fans got some explaining to do. What was your thoughts and takeaways after seeing the first fan result tallies? You took the words right out of my mouth, man. But I'm going to add another word in there that can maybe uh, add more emphasis to what you're uh, talking about. It's mm. called blasphemy. The <laughs> blasphemy that comes from, that comes from this all-star, like you said, Awesome Reese, fan favorite. Gets more points and gets more, you know, votes than Jalen Brunson, like you mentioned. Doesn't make sense. The fact that Jalen Brunson not mentioned, the fact that De'Aaron Fox is not mentioned. If anything, those two players are the reason why their teams are even afloat right now. The Kings are sitting fifth in the Western Conference. Think yeah. about that. Yeah. No one thought the Sacramento Kings, but with the young quarter they got would be sitting fifth right now in the Western Conference with De'Aaron Fox leading the way. And you telling me Jordan Poole has more pool than that? He barely pooling himself. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I just don't see how – I feel like, yes, we should give the fans a chance to be interactive with the, how, with, with the event that they come out to the most for entertainment purposes. We understand that. However, it's time to lower the wage – or the dial of how much emphasis we need to put on fan voting to determine who goes to these all-star all-star events. Because at the end of the day, this does not reflect the reality of what the league should look like on both ends of the spectrum. It just doesn't. Well, even I'm not, I'm gonna be critical of this. Russell Westbrook, love the guy, six man of the year potentially. Right. He is sixth in voting right now. Can we justify that considering there's a lot of the guards on both ends of the, on both East and West that's played better than him? That's a good point. Cause as I got the numbers up in front of me, I see that Russell 
Westbrook has more votes than Damian Lillard and Devin Booker, who, in spite of being out at this current time due to a growing injury, you could easily say was in the race or if not in the conversation for the NBA's most valuable player award prior to going down. So yeah, it's definitely a reason to ask for some que- you know, uh, some questions. And and I, I get what you're saying, bro, because I got a gripe with it. I understand names. I understand that you got your box office stars. I still believe that Russell Westbrook is a box office star even coming off of the bench. But at the mm-hmm. same time, yeah, that those, those are some questions that need answers, bro. Those are some questions that need answers, and they valid. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, top 10, ain't even play half the season. Like, what? It, 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 that's where this, separ- this type of voting process, when you get the fans involved, clearly separates real basketball heads versus people that just watch the game for pure entertainment. Because as we clearly see, the Paul Georges, the Kawhi Leonard's, I'm just thinking about the Western Conference right now. You got, you got Kevon Looney at 10. Yeah. <laughs> like what? I said, the, war, the Warriors. It, it's the Warriors effect. And it's a team that's become a global franchise within itself with all of the success in which they've accumulated. I don't understand that either. You know, I, I try to get, I can try and give you a pass with Jordan Poole. I understand this game is aesthetically pleasing to watch when he has it going on. But at the same time, man, I I just don't know. I, I, I don't know how you, how you get to that conclusion or draw that up at all. But I got to ask you, Josh, although fans account for 50% of the vote, to decide all-star starters with NBA players in a media panel accounting for 25% each. Do you believe that NBA all-star fan voting should be abolished? Hmm. As much as I want to say yes, we can't. We can't eliminate it. Because fans have so much impact and what makes these guards and these and these players so box office, you have to give them some type of place in the league that allows them to interact with the, 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 the game itself. So I'm not going to say we can't eliminate it, but we definitely got to dial back as far as 50% of the voting that gives the impact to choose who gets to go. No, no. How much would you give? I'll give them 25 so what would the other 25 go to then? Because you got if you if you do it that way, then that means a quarter of the vote would would be in which it was what the fans account for, then 25% NBA players, and then 25% that would consist of a media panel. Would you add like former NBA vets to this panel? You can do that. I, okay, I'm, for the other I think that's possible. Twenty-five percent. Okay. Yeah, that's fine by me. I'm cool with that because at least with former veterans or former players that have played in this league, they have a better sense of probably number one following the game, 
Number two, evaluating the talent that is making the game so good right now. And three, it also gives the, the, the former players the opportunity to give back to the game in a special way that hasn't been done before. So I'm actually cool with that idea. And quite frankly, because of their knowledge of the game and what they and if they watch the game now compared to what it was in the past, they could understand, okay, who really deserves to be there and who really isn't. Or at least there's a better chance of that. I would I, I like to view the all-star game as even though it is meant for pure entertainment, it is also meant to be given the opportunities to the players that actually played like all-stars throughout the season, which this season. You're not going to get a lot of the same guys over and over that you have in previous years. There's a lot of well-worthy uh, players that deserve to be all-star credentialed right now. Laurie Markkinen should be all-star credentialed. You got, uh, you got, um, you know, Darius Garland should be all-star credentialed. You have other, pl- you got other guys in the East that should be, uh, that haven't been other, uh, played before. Shea Gilgis-Alexander should be an all-star this year. De'Aaron Fox should be considered all-star this year. You just mentioned Jalen Brunson should be uh, all-star this year. There's a lot of players that if you really think about all-star level capability, they have that and they've lived up to that expectation in comparison to how their teams are forming out in the, um, in the standings on not just in their East on the Eastern conference in general, but their divisions that plays a bigger role and deserves a lot more credibility as far as who should join the all-star game and who isn't based on watching the game and analyzing the game itself. Media people do that. And yes, the players do that. But at the same time, if you're a former player, there's a better chance of you doing that on a consistent basis compared to the average fan that watches the game that, and over half the time, probably doesn't even understand the game, but watches for pure entertainment. That's what I, I would lower that to 25%. And like you said, replace that with former players who, who, you know, if you have to go through a vetting process, you can go through a vetting process for that. But, vo- but former players should also can take up that other 25% that can bring potentially more credibility to justify who really deserves to be in the All-Star game. I, I could see that. One thing I will say, though, is I, I agree with you. I don't believe that you can't abolish fan voting, man. I just don't. It's accounted for how we determine all-star starters over the course of time. And while you can argue about bringing in an NBA alumni, a former all-star panel to decide who makes up the 10 guys that takes the floor for all-star weekend, that, that, that would be tough. I think for the most part though, the fans did get it right. I don't really have much of a gripe with how they voted thus far, because in the East, you would have Donovan Mitchell alongside of Kevin Durant and Joel Embiid, as well as Kyrie Irving and Giannis Antetokounmpo. I don't have no problem with that. I also didn't have a problem with the way in which they voted in the West, although, you know, Zion has a legitimate argument, even though he's hurt at the present moment. I think he has just as legitimate of an argument as Anthony Davis does for that final spot in the front court. Mm-hmm. But with that being said, outside of that, I don't really have much of a gripe. 
Jason Tatum could easily have an argument as well over Joel Embiid. But somebody got to take a seat. Somebody got to get in as reserves. And I feel like more than likely, that's how those two guys will end up getting in if neither one of them makes it as a starter. But with that said, I want to switch on and, and move away from NBA All-Star voting tallies to talk about the league-wide trend that has impacted the game as we know it. It's scoring across the association is reaching such uncharted levels that many around the game are left wondering not only what's behind it, but whether or not the inflated stats in which they see are the result of a product that has become watered down. As of this recording, there are currently five players in the NBA who are averaging at least 30 points or more with three players in close proximity to the mark averaging at least 29 points per game, marking the most ever 30-point scores that the league has seen in any year since 1963, including 14 50-point games in the process this season, matching not only the total of the 2020-21 season prior to the All-Star break, but only five away from the 1950-point game the league witnessed a season ago. With all of this coming in spite of the fact that the overall pace and play has slowed down, I'll share my thoughts real quick on what I believe is behind the scoring boom before I pass to you, Josh. It's rather simple to me. Everybody wants to, you know, moan and groan, complain about the lack of defense that is being played when, in reality, the overall skill level has increased. On top of that, the floor is more spaced out than ever before. And when you combine that with the way in which the game is being officiated nowadays and guys being able to get to the free throw line in record numbers, this is what happens. What's your thoughts on that, Josh? It's the same. I completely agree. Like the skills, the skill sets have changed, like you mentioned. In some cases, the pace has changed when you compare it to the early 90s and early 80s and 90s. The pace yes. has changed. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot more offensive-minded coaches to where offensively, like you said, the game has expanded in such a way, especially now that you're having guys like Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Damian Lillard, the logo three, like – those three-pointers are, are becoming more of an emphasis than a typical mid-range to paint game. And with the offense changing the way that it is, combined, like you said, with the officiating of the game and how it is not always defensive-focused, but more offensive-fluent, that's going to change the game. That's going to change how teams and players can score so much at such a high rapid pace. And to be able to do that, another, I think another reason, too, there's a lot more shooters this, in this league. Yeah. There's a lot more people that can effectively shoot the ball because that, that is the name of the game now. There's no more of this, you know, it's, a, it's still a lot of isolation play, but there's not more of playing through the paint. There's not more, it's not, it's not as much of that anymore. It's a lot more of I got to make my three-point jump shots because offense is targeted three-point jump shots. The way the game is being played right now, you have people blowing layups on fast breaks just to get three-point jump shots. So 
the game has changed where it's so three-point-esque, along with the other dimensions we've mentioned before. It makes the game that much easier to focus on scoring the ball so effectively from beyond the perimeter. And that is one of the areas that really that's really you know elevated as far as what makes the game score so well and so easily. But we also got to highlight this too. When you talked about the type of people that are making these high scoring baskets, the Giannis is of the league, the Donovan Mitchell's of the league, the Luka Doncic is of the league. The commonality is, it's the variety of how they score the ball. It's not solely on three-point shooting. Those guys are getting to the free throw line. Exactly. They're shooting, they're shooting 15, 20 free throws a game almost. Like the fact that they're shooting that many free throws, making that many free throws, on top of being efficient in various realms of the get of the court, that's the commonality that helps you look at the score and be like, oh dang, they're not just scoring 50, 60, 70 points a game. They're chipping in 10 rebounds a game. They're teaching, they're chipping in at least six to six to ten assists along along with that stat line. So I think that's the yes, the overall game has changed, which has led to those things or contributed heavily to those things. But the fact they're not just doing it on the scoring perspective, they're also padding the stats in other ways that aid to the scoring. That's what's more scary to me than people just scoring 60, 70 points in a game. You're you're putting in 20 rebounds to go along with it. You're putting in 10-plus assists to go along with it. Luka Doncic's 60-point triple-double had 60, 21, and 10. Never heard of before, never been done before. But this is the first to do it in this era. And Luka Doncic is not a guy that you speed up. He's not fast. He's not going to kill you in the fast break game. It's all, it's all half court. So the, the way these players are getting it done, not just through scoring, but in other avenues to add to the scoring, I think that's what makes it that much scarier for me when you talk about how much the game has changed. We can't look at someone and just say, oh, they dropped 71 points. Now you're going to start seeing 71 points with 15 rebounds, with 10 assists to go along with it, which is showing that was more of a complete game for, for someone to have in this to, in today's NBA, which would never be possible in, in previous eras. Yeah, it, could, it couldn't have happened in previous areas, eras of the game, excuse me. It couldn't have happened in previous eras just due to the fact that back when they played in the 90s, the paint was crowded. Mm-hmm. And guys just did not shoot outside shots. Everybody was seeking to attack the paint. In an era where space or the importance of space was not as widely emphasized the way that it is now. Mm-hmm. And I want to add to your point a little bit on this. Part of the reason why you see in this scoring boom, as much as people want to bitch about the defense to keep it above, it's because guys are doing this out of necessity. Mm. When Donovan Mitchell dropped 71 points and accounted for 99 of Cleveland's points in their come-from-behind victory against the Bulls, you know who wasn't playing? Evan Mobley was out and Darius Garland was out. They were also down by double digits. I'm pretty sure with the way in which numbers are 
translated to players behind the bench and in the locker room. Someone went to Donovan and said, hey, be aggressive and force the issue. I understand that Ayo Dosumu is playing incredible defense on you, but we will live and die with whatever you create for us tonight because we have no choice. When Luca put up 60, 20, and 10, the first 60-20 triple-double in the history of the league, second 60-point triple-double in the league ever, James Harden was the first to do it and still the only one to do it in regulation. That's Bad. one that a lot of people forget. Bad. I actually chronicled that game, and I covered that game. But when he did, when Luca did that, he was doing that without Maxi Kleber. Josh Green, they needed every single bucket at every critical juncture of the game. Joel Embiid, he's posted two games with at least 50 or more this season. When he did, James Harden was out. Tyrese Maxey was also out of one of those games when he scored 50-plus against Charlotte on the second Sunday of December. These games are happening out of necessity, and they're also happening because the usage rate is higher than ever before, and these teams need them to do it. I was at a game when the Bulls played Milwaukee shortly after the holiday. I'm looking at the stat sheet during the half. I'm like, with my pops at the game, I'm like, Giannis got 20 and 10 at the half. And I'm paying attention to the personnel that's off the floor. I said, Drew Holiday's out. I said, not only is Drew Holiday out, but Chris Middleton's out. Brooke Lopez isn't really having that great of a night shooting from the field. Bobby Portis is the only player that's really taking advantage of the driving kicks in which Giannis is creating. Giannis going to have to score at least 50 for them to win. And I remember I told my father, I said, he's damn sure going to score 40 tonight. That's an automatic. You know when you go into the arena, if you really follow the game and you analyze the game and you watch the game, what to expect based on who's out there and who's not out there. It's just like Stacey King always says, if you listen to Bulls broadcast on NBC Sports Chicago, know your personnel. Yeah. And when you see the personnel on the floor and those stars don't have their co-stars or sidekicks doing what they're supposed to be doing or they're inactive, at a given night, yeah, 50 piece can happen, especially when the coach is going to be playing you 40 plus minutes and needs every basket out of you to go get it. In the game that I saw Giannis in, he had 44, 20, he had 45, 20 plus rebounds and seven plus assists. He was, he was, he was like five points away from 50. You knew he was going for it. You knew he was going for it because he had no choice to, albeit in a loss. It was DeMar, went right back at him and had 42 of his own. So, you know, I, when I look at the, the scoring boom, a lot of this is happening out of necessity. As much as it's happening off of the pure talent in the wizardry that we're witnessing in the league, like these guys got YouTube now. These eight-year-olds have YouTube, and they can study a variety of errors in many moves from the 80s onward. We should be scared of what's coming in the next 10 to 20 years. If you're scared now, imagine what's going to happen when these other young kids come up who have had the pleasure of watching Kyrie Irving 
and LeBron James and John Moran and Luka Doncic, they was yay high. You can't forget Kobe, though. Kobe said that transition. Well. Kobe is still no, no disrespect because what Donovan did, he scored the most points in the NBA in a single game since Kobe's 81 back in 2006. Can't forget about that. And like you said, it was out of necessity, too. Yeah. Because the personnel that he had on the floor with him. But I yep. got to ask you real quick, because there's so many current commentators around the league saying that defenses have been played at a high level, and that's the main reason behind what we're seeing as of late in regards to these scoring explosions. And I understand that the hand check is no longer upon us in this current age of basketball. But with all of this that you're witnessing, do you believe that the game has become watered down? Oh, man. Uh, I'll, I'll say this. I think the league got a little soft. I think the league got a little soft. It's not just the hand checking. It's some, some of these refs are taking matters in their own hands and calling whatever fouls they want to call. That, quite frankly, when you look at them, it's like, they're not really fouls, bro. <laughs> like, they're not really fouls. One little touch, and oh my gosh, foul. Like, the era the, the has each, as we get closer to moving, eras moving forward. Each era has gotten lighter when it comes to what you can do defensively to stop your opponents. As, as they took away a lot of the physicality out of the game, you can barely trash talk now. One ball. Yeah. One wrong, wrong, one wrong word or one wrong look can get you technical fouls. She, well, she always got technical fouls with just looking at a ref. Like, <laughs> you know, the league has gotten so soft and they have allowed the NBA refs to take so much matters into their own hands now that they are affecting in a lot of ways how you can stop offenses because the NBA is that much more offensively driven. So... I think it's not, I think some of it is NBA players and teams not just giving a care at times about defense because it's such an offensively driven league that they're like, forget it. We'll just, we'll, it's become shootouts. So we'll just do shootout games. I think it's a leading, I think some of that does play. But I also think at the same time, knowing that these refs can take matters in their own hands whenever they want. And and you can barely play defense the way you probably need to in a lot of ways to eliminate the scoring outbursts that a lot of these teams and players are having. It's like, it's like, what can you do? What else can you do? You can't do much more. So I think that plays a, a role in a lot of ways too when, with these refs because if refs allow you to become physical, nine to a lot of 10, it'll increase the chances of you having a better uh being able to manage guarding the best players on the floor. Now, I'm not saying you're going to automatically stop them because they're elite for a reason. Exactly. What I am saying is you at least increase the chance of managing and monitoring how you can better defend them to at least increase the chance of not getting blown out with getting blown out or willingly giving the person 50 plus a game versus nowadays where you can't even touch a person before, without hearing a whistle being blown. You can't even look at a person wrong without having a whistle being blown. And don't let it get to the, and sometimes don't let it get to the last two minute warrant, two minute, last two minutes, because depending on the ref, good luck. So 
it's it's a it's a lot of I think refs play a lot more of a key role now than they did previously in previous years and eras. And the fact that they know they can dictate and manage a game whenever they want, that kind of hurts teams that are known for being super physical, like the Detroit Pistons of the of, of, of their eras. Um, you know, at one point with the like Tibbs teams, defensive teams with the Bulls, with the Knicks. You know, those defensive teams where you know, oh, you're in for a long night. Yeah, it's not a lot of those anymore because of the fact that I think rest really manage and call the games. You could even add the Detroit Pistons from the mid-2000s during the Larry Brown era in that mix as well with Chauncey yeah. Billups and Big Ben. If they play this way, that the way that they currently play in this era, rather, Man, it, it they definitely would have had a lot of gripes with the refs because you can't touch freedom of movement is more stressed now than ever before. But one thing I will say, and I want fans to take to account to have gripes with officiating. I'm not trying to make an excuse for the league, but this is just real facts. A lot of these officials are new. Yeah. Like the officials that we grew up with, the Joe Crawfords, um, the Hugh Evans, the Dick Bavettas of the world, yeah. they gone. Yeah. You know, and they actually knew how not to let a game get out of hand. And even though Joe was quick to tech you, uh, uh, tee you up out of a game, you could at least talk with him depending on your approach. From right. time to time, man, depending on the night, you know, if he wasn't in no takeoff move. Big better, you definitely could. But yeah, like I mean, you, you got a lot of new officials, man, who really don't, in my opinion, have a true familiarity with with calling professional basketball games and it shows. And it's getting to a point where refs are missing so many calls or just letting guys get the benefit of the doubt. To where you're gonna start seeing a lot of these guys get to the free throw line in record numbers. Like I like I visit Giannis in the game I saw. Him. He missed like six free throws, bro. He had to have attempted at least over 15 free throws in that game. If he made at least five or six of them, he would have had 50. That was the only thing that prevented him from getting a 50 ball against the Bulls that night. Straight up. So with with that said, I mean I I get what you're saying about the officiating, and, and, and it's a it's a league-wide problem. And yeah. I think that that plays a role in what you're currently witnessing with a lot of this scoring boom across the association as we know it. But I want to segue to show along from discussing the league's current scoring surge to talking about the Chicago Bulls, who since our previous recording has managed to capture wins in seven out of their last 11 games since we last had the pleasure of speaking with one another prior to the holidays, one of which came in a comeback effort against their Central Division foe in the Milwaukee Bucks at home. The Bulls found a way to go about withstanding a huge 45-point, 22-rebound, and seven-assist night, courtesy of the Greek freak known as Giannis, led behind 42 points from DeMar DeRozan to pull out a six-point win in OT just days prior to the start of the new year, including another victory that will prove to be the nail in the coffin to the longest winning streak in the NBA to date this year, 
defeating the Brooklyn Nets by nine last week as Brooklyn pulled into the Madhouse on Madison, having won a total of 12 straight games, which the Bulls will follow up by taking down the Sixers on the road in Philly prior to coming back into the city to defeat the Utah Jazz and route the post in a 3-1 record over a four-game stretch last week. And in spite of garnering those victories against the two top upper echelon squads and boasting a 6-2 and two record against the top three-seeded teams out east, Bulls still find themselves in the play-in picture, sitting 10th in the standings as we are recording this episode after recently dropping a game against the Celtics for the first time this year in their final meeting of the regular season in Boston. DeMar DeRozan exited the game in the middle of the third after slipping to the floor while attempting a drive and route to the rim against the seas with a right quad strain and did not return to the contest. DeRozan told Bulls insider and our good friend Casey Johnson of NBA Sports NBC Sports Chicago that he could move the way he wanted and plans to receive treatment around the clock. In addition to also admitting he's been playing through some soreness for this quad the past eight games, DeRozan declared his status is day-to-day. Devontae Green, who's missed the last five games with knee soreness, is also set to undergo arthroscopic debridement of his right knee. As the team announced this hours prior to us recording, it's going to be reevaluated within the next couple of weeks. Got to get straight to it. What do you make of the injuries to DeRozan and Green during this stretch? Ian, you had the pleasure of linking up to the Bulls game uh, prior to the new year when they were taking on the Cleveland Cavaliers, talking about it amongst ourselves in private channels. What does this mean to the Bulls, man? Should DeRozan, as well as Green, have to miss extended time for a team that's been playing so well as of late and finally showing some resolve that we've been looking for? This means two people need to show up. Ayo Sumo and Patrick Williams. Those two young guys need to step up now. Because if honestly, when you talk about this and DeMar, this can be a blessing in disguise for the Bulls. Because now you give Zach Levine the freedom to roam and do what he loves to do. If, if you, if, obviously, I'm sure you've noticed, the dude dropped 104 points in the last three games. He's averaging 35. Yeah. 56 from the field, 55 from three, along with five assists, which shows that Zach's all-around overall game is more than just scoring. He's playmaking. He's creating for others, which is what I expected, and we've talked about how we expected Zach Levine to take his game to the next level. That's how the Bulls are going to win. But we all knew the problem was he couldn't do that when DeMar DeRozan always had the ball in his hands. Now that DeMar DeRozan is out, Zach Levine emerges as the number one option, which, according to the recent play that he's had and the Bulls' winning streak, shows that the Bulls actually need to make Zach Levine the option to go through outside of Vucevic. So, now you actually have a chance to do that. If DeMar DeRozan is not playing these next upcoming games, you can see what that looks like. And we, so I expect Zach Levine to be the Zach Levine we know he's capable of being along with Vooch. But 25 points out of your lineup, Ayo and Patrick Williams got to make up for that. Because when we know Ayo can step up when, he ne- when necessary. When Ayo gets in the groove, offense, especially offensively, combined with his defense, Ayo's impact is that much greater. We know that. But Patrick Williams, you're the number four guy on this roster in the starting lineup. 
I know it's difficult to get your scoring opportunities considering that you're playing with three all-stars, but one of them's down. This is your best opportunity to step up now. You got a chance to, to go crazy on the offensive end now, especially when you have someone in Zach Levine who has now proven that he can not only score, but facilitate and get you where you need to be so, you, so that way you can score. Patrick Williams, it's a prime opportunity for him to just to take that next level and to show everyone, especially Chicago fans in general, you can be the consistent go-to option as the number one, as number four player on this option on, on this offense, which Patrick Williams has struggled to do this year. He he has a lot of great moments, but there's a lot of moments where you're like, dang, he's still in that rookie phase. So you gotta, uh, it's a good opportunity for him to potentially show us what he's really capable of doing consistently while DeMar DeRozan is out. But on top of that too, guys like Kobe White got to step up. That bench got to come through too. And for Kobe White, this is great for him because he's not only playing well this season off the bench and being a good electrifying shooter for them, but he's been playing in crunch time moments down the stretch too, which is going to be key for him considering that this is his last chance and there's no guarantee he's coming back next year. So players just got to step up. But it starts with Iowa and Pat Williams, who we know are the top two young guys on the scene that's going to get the most experience. They're going to get the most playing time. Them two have to step up, especially with Patrick, I mean, with uh, Javante Green being out defensively to help merge and smoothen out that perimeter, that perimeter defense. They could do that while giving in each at least 10 to 15 points a game. That'll help keep this Bulls team afloat. But I expect Zach Levine to continue to play the way that he's been playing along with Vooch, and that's up to those young guys to step up. Next man up mentality. And as long as the Bulls do that, they should be all right. Now, I say should because we know the Bulls. You never know what you're going to get every given night. But as long as those two young guys play well defensively, as well as score at least 10 to 15 offensively, Bulls should be just fine. Interesting you bring up Pat Williams. Had a big-time game against Brooklyn and was really the driving force behind that nine-point win. Got the yep. numbers right in front of me. I had the pleasure of being at that game. Had 22, six-phase shooting from the floor, three for four, shooting from beyond the arc to go alongside of seven rebounds and play some solid defense, might I add, on Kevin Durant in spite of him exploding for 44 points of his own, which was a game best, but not enough for the Nets to continue on with their winning streak. I think Patrick Williams has shown some signs of promise lately. I got to give it to him. You know, he's put up double figures in four out of his last five outs. Definitely needs to build and show that he can do that more consistently. But he seems like he's in the process of doing that. On top of that, he's also hit some big-time buckets specifically from beyond the arc, late in games in the fourth quarter, which is normally not what we have seen from Pat thus far in his career. That's a positive sign. So I'm seeing the growth a little bit from him. Io, he's been playing fairly well, minus a few hiccups here and there, you know, with basic things as young players have. I think he's been fine. Kobe White is definitely a guy that's going to have to step up off of the bench. We're talking about a guy who 
yes, he has tightened up his handle. He has played well as of late and been key defensively in ways that I did not expect for him to be as of late as well. I have to give him his flowers and his appreciation for, for stepping up on that end of the floor when he was oftentimes ostracized for it, and rightfully so, because of the effort in which he exhibited on that end from night to night. But I, I think this is a tough blow because you're asking a team that has such a thin margin for error and has to be pretty much perfect in order to win each and every night against the best of the best to not miss a beat. And Zach Levine, I do believe, is more than capable of helping the Bulls weather the storm in the absence of DeRozan, specifically for the reason which you allude to. He's shooting lights out from beyond the arc over his last 10 games, shooting over 50% from the field in his last 10 outings. And on top of that, he's attacking the bucket at a rate in which we have yet to see him do ever since coming off of the knee injury this past summer, or knee surgery, might I add. So I I'm glad to see the improved play from Zach Levine. I think that that will help them. He played a pivotal role in them trying to come from behind eight against Boston when DeMar went out. And I liked it that I got a chance and, and other Bulls fans got a chance to see that, which is what you want to see if you're a Bulls fan and you're, you have aspirations seeing this team back in the playoffs for the second straight year. But, yeah, it, it, this is going to be a tough one because DeMar, man, he's a, he's a steady presence. You know, when, that, when the offense breaks down, you can go to him in that half court. But one thing I do like about it is – should he have to miss an extended period of time? As you said, other guys got to step up and the show can't stop. Mm -hmm. And you got to find a way to make a way out of no way if you're Billy Donovan and company, especially when you've made a ton of progress over the last couple of weeks following the loss to Minnesota. And guys are finally starting to show some resolve. I do agree with you, though. Playing through Vucevic in the post, it's typically where the Bulls have been able to find some successes of late. They could keep doing that and be, you know, you, they might be able to steal some games here and there. Hopefully DeRozan doesn't miss a lot of time. And he's the type of guy I don't, I wouldn't expect to because like he said himself, he typically don't take himself out of games. No way. And mm -hmm. you know, it had to be something serious in order for him to do that. But He's trying to receive treatment around the clock, so we don't really know what his status is for the foreseeable future just yet. Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting um, dynamic as far as what the Bulls are going to be capable of doing, especially since, according to uh, our, our guy, Drew, Drew Stevens, he, he tweeted recently that the Bulls now have the technically the easiest schedule moving forward. So... If that is the case, there should be a lot of games on there that, respectfully, the Bulls should win. But the caveat to that, the Bulls play down to their competition quite often. Yeah. And if you're talking about playing a lot of teams that are at 500 or below 500, it can, it, it can really go two ways. It can be great or it can be so diabolically bad. Because we don't know what you're going to get from the Bulls. Because there's, 
so with their inconsistencies still being shown, as of late, they've been playing great. And there's been some games, and they just slipped through the crack. They just couldn't get the job done. However, can that same play translate for the next at least 14 games leading up to the trade deadline and All-Star weekend for them to play at such a high level where they can still creep up in some cases because the Eastern Conference standings are still pretty tight. If they go on a winning streak and these other teams slip, they can still they can see themselves in that eight to six range. They really want to push it. But can the game translate from what they played recently, even with DeMar playing the level he's been playing? Can it translate for other guys to step up and fill in that void to maintain throughout the rest of the games going into all-star break and trade deadline? I if, if We don't know the answer to that. And quite honestly, we can't even give you a confident answer. However, if we, can, if we say it does translate over, there's a good chance they can win those games, which is something that we couldn't say earlier this season. So that's just something we just got to see and figure out as we watch uh, the, uh, the rest of these upcoming games. And hopefully DeMar doesn't miss a lot of time, which, like you said, I don't expect him to miss a lot of time either. But this is going to be a battle test, another battle test for the Bulls, considering that, to me, even though DeMar is a huge impact, Losing Javante Green on that defensive end and how he flows offensively with guys like DeMar who doesn't need the ball. That's going to be the thing that's, that's going to hit them the most. And I hope they, the rest of the guys are prepared to fill in that void. No doubt about it. I want to push things along from the action in the city of Wynn to what's going down further east by the borough in Brooklyn where Nets squad, who has captured wins in 18 of their last 20 outings, received some unfortunate news regarding arguably their most shining star. According to ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, Woj, as you know, Kevin Durant is expected to be sidelined for the next month after being diagnosed with an isolated MTL sprain of his right knee and is set to be re-evaluated within two weeks. However, there is optimism within Brooklyn's camp that this is a less severe injury compared to the previous MCL sprain in which Kevin Durant suffered in his left knee just a year ago. As Woj reported that the team expects him to miss no more than four weeks of action this time around compared to the six weeks he set out a season ago. Durant suffered the following injury in the third quarter of the next 102 to 101 win against the Heat in Miami to close out last week. Brooklyn posted a 5-12 record during the 17 games in which Durant had to sit out and miss time with a sprained MCL a season ago. Although one could argue that the state of the Nets was in a far different place compared to now, the organization recently constructed their best 20-game stretch ever in franchise history. I'm going to just put it like this to you, Josh. My expectations for Brooklyn moving forward in the wake of KD's recent setback is it just hold the ship at bay. Continue what's got you there. Jock Vaughn has done a hell of a job of getting this group buy-in. They're playing for one another on both ends of the floor. Defensively, they are communicating at a level that I never saw them do during the Steve Nash regime. And you can tell that he's gotten everybody on his team interconnected. 
if Kyrie Irving can find a way to not only get his, which we know he's going to do on any given night, whether he's out there as a solo act or with KD or, you know, what have you. You know he's going to do that, but if he can find a way to get others involved, such as Seth Curry and letting Ben Simmons know, hey, soon as you get that rebound, push it up the floor. Let's get to drive again. If he could do that, I think Brooklyn will be fine. This is a team that has a stronger bench compared to a season ago when KD suffered the same injury. They don't have any drama with the James Harden cloud anymore. A lot of us, specifically me and you, we know that one of the main reasons why Harden left Brooklyn was because of the fact that he wasn't trying to shoulder a heavy offensive load when KD went down. And with the status of Kyrie Irving up in the air at that time, due to the vaccine and whatnot being a part-time role player, he didn't want no part of that. But now with Kyrie in the fold full-time, I think this team should be fine. And one thing that they have that is a positive, they only got six games over the course of 16 days. So they're going to have a bunch of practice time to get ingrained one another and get right. And if they able to do that, I think they'd be fine. TJ Warren's another guy that can step up for him as well. Well, what's your expectations for Brooklyn moving forward in the wake of KD's recent setback, man? Everything you just said, hold on to Ford. It's not like your fearless leader's not coming back at all this season. You know, he's he's planning to come back most likely before all-star break. So um as long as things continue to go smooth uh with that, shoot, hold on to Ford. Kyrie's gonna be able to have a chance to lead, and I think he'll lead differently now because of everything he's gone through throughout these past 10 years, uh, uh especially since 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 his Boston days. Um, he's learned. I think he's learned a lot to a point where he's been, he'll be able to lead differently as the as the number one guy now um, until Kevin Durant comes back. And you mentioned all the players that can definitely step up. I'm looking at Ben Simmons because Ben Simmons, you've been you've been you got some time to get acquainted now. You you've been playing consistently. You've been uh, playing in different roles that have that have you know been great, especially defensively. Yeah. For this team. Um, to now be the second best team in the Eastern Conference. But we know you got another gear in the tank because you showed it to us prior to all, prior to your recent uh, mishaps with Philadelphia and now you coming to Brooklyn. So because you can do that, I don't even need you to go drop me 20 a game like you did in the way that you used to. You can just give me 15. You just give me 15 smooth and half of that can be in transition. As long as you're able to do that, I'm good. I'm good with that. And I think he is capable of doing that. So, yeah, Joe Harris will show up. The TJ Warrens. I expect Royce O'Neal to be better as the recent, uh, compared to the previous stretch he was on. He's, he's been on shooting the ball. You know, Seth Curry is going to continue to, to do his thing. I expect all that to happen, just like you do. But for me, Ben Simmons is the X factor about how much, how much is this team going to sink. And I don't think they'll sink too bad. Quite frankly, I think they'll stay afloat. However, it's going to be a lot, a lot of it's going to be on Ben Simmons. As long as Ben Simmons can play his role effectively to a point where even adding additional more responsibility from an offensive perspective wouldn't be too much of a problem, 
Brooklyn will stay afloat. And that's what I expect out of the Nets, especially Ben Simmons. I'm looking at the Nets schedule over the next 10 games. They start out with the Celtics and Thunder at home without KD, followed by a five-game road trip out west where they will take on the Spurs, Suns, Jazz, and the Warriors, followed by concluding the road trip coming back east to play against Philadelphia with three other games to close out the month of January at home against the Pistons, the Knicks, and the Lakers, respectively. They only stand a game and a half back behind the Celtics for the top seed in the East as of this recording. And they take the floor against the reigning conference champions later on this week in front of a national audience on TNT. I, I think what you said is spot on. Ben Simmons, yeah, he don't have to give them mega numbers, but if he could give them 15 with 10 and 5, and he's attacking the rim, that's a plus. Because when Ben Simmons was at the peak of his power in Philadelphia, he was driving to the rim at least 10 times a night. A couple years ago, during his last year in Philly, I want to say he was driving to the rim about five times per night. This year it's at three. And he's been able to get away with his offensive deficiencies a little bit because he's had KD hiding him a little bit with his ability to score and shoot it from anywhere on the floor, as well as Kyrie Irving. But he's given him so much on the defensive end. Now, not only do I need you to give me something on the defensive end, but you're rebounding. But as soon as you rebound, I need you to push up the paint. I need you to drive and attack. Don't be afraid to get to the free throw line. If you miss, we live with it, but at least setting the tone. And that's what Ben is going to have to do. I expect him to do it. I think it's time for him to do it. And this could really serve as an as a important stretch for Kyrie Irving in his career as he seeks to garner his next big payday. He has every incentive to do it the last year of his contract. But if I'm Jock Bond or Kyrie Irving or anybody in that locker room, I'm pumping Ben Simmons up every game over the next month and counting like, hey, bro. Show me that guy that we got a chance to see when he was in Philadelphia. And with the personnel that you have, even if they seek to double you, you can kick it out to the Joe Harris's and the Seth Curry's of the world. And they'll make a defense pay on a night when they hot, including Royce O'Neal, who had a dreadful game here and shot like 0 for 9 in that loss to the Bulls, where if he made – at least three of those triples that he had, he got some good looks. It could have been a different game. So I think Brooklyn, if they could just manage to post like a six and four or seven and three record through these next 10 games, I think they'll take it. Most definitely. Anything that anything that includes Ben Simmons equating to those seven and three or six and four records is a plus. They'll, they'll, they'll take that, especially since, you know, like you said, they're only a game and a half from the Celtics as the number one team in the East. The fact that they even came this far is already a plus. But this is this will be the icing on the cake to really test and in a lot of ways prepare them for what the future really, look, can, really can look like. Because obviously 
in the future that you're going to have a healthier Kevin Durant prayerfully or hopefully. You're going to have a healthy Kyrie Irving going through this thing. But if the Nets can figure out how to play without Kevin Durant now, with the Ben Simmons having the mentality and the growth that we know he is capable of doing, imagine having that Ben Simmons plugged in with a healthy Katie and Kyrie come playoff time. That's a different, that's going to be a different beast that a lot of the league may not be prepared for. So this is a good test for Brooklyn even now to get this out the way. To be like, all right, Ben, we ain't got one of our leaders. If you can step up in this way, we're going to need you to play that way moving forward, even with him on the on the roster. Because we know what he's capable of doing, but whatever you bring in, that's going to be the icing on the cake to get to where we're trying to go. Indeed. Kevin Durant was a guy who was regarded by many as someone who was slowly beginning to climb atop of their MVP power rankings prior to his injury. I know prior to the season that you were riding with Zion Williamson of the New Orleans Pelicans to take home the award. In a year where you can say that one's rankings are likely to flip-flop every single week due to all of the highlight-level performances that we've seen from guys in the running thus far. Who are your top five guys real quick before we move on to the next segment as we stand in the race for the MVP award today, Josh? Man. Just real uh, quick. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's real, it's, I'm just going to just name out five guys, no particular order. Okay. But right now, I'm going with Zion still. All right. And KD. Jay Tatum. Jokic and Giannis. Yes, I left Luca off. I left Luca off. Uh, and the only reason why I left Luca off because even though Dallas has improved dramatically as of recent, now sitting at fourth in the Western Conference, I need to see how long this thing continues to ride out. The narrative hasn't changed too much for me. He's coming off a year where last year he went to the Western Conference Finals. I'm not. I'm, that that's not to me. To me, we know we know what Luca can do moving forward. I want to see him do that. Do that with the Mavericks winning all throughout the season to get him that much higher pedestal. But Zion's still going to be on top for me. And the only reason why the Pelicans are still sitting third in the Western Conference. You can't tell me that dramatic of a change with the numbers he's putting in and the impact that he's putting in, knowing that last season the Pelicans finished. As a part of the playing team, as one of the playing teams without Zion on the court, with them playing now, and they're sitting third in the Western Conference, you could have not predicted that. And this, and they're thriving. They're still going. Zion's about to be an All Star this year. That's that to me is the when you talk about the definition of an MVP. You know the impact of the game while the team is winning. I got to go with Zion as one of my top guys doing that. And, of course, you got KD and Jason Tatum who are sitting, who are doing well, and especially what KD's doing, bringing Brooklyn from play-in tournament to number two in the Eastern Conference. That, that, that drastic change is incredible, too. But even but I'm not as much as Jokic is winning, too, as won the past two MVPs, he got another case this year, too. Just because yeah. <laughs> Denver is sitting number one in the West. Who would have thought Denver would be number one in the West right now with the numbers he's putting up? So it's hard to those miss these guys, um, especially with the, the elite numbers that they're putting up, man. But I'm still rolling with Zion. 
I'm still rolling with Zion as my number one lead right now, just simply because you know without Zion on that Pelicans team, they're not number one. They're not sitting top three in the Western Conference. And not just sitting top three, but thriving throughout the Western Conference. That doesn't happen without Zion Williamson playing the way that he's been playing. I commend you for your loyalty with Zion. I really do. He was a guy at one point, he damn sure would have been on the top five of my list. I feel bad leaving him off when you make that case. You know, I got nothing but love for Zion, but I'm, I'm just going to say it real quickly in the order in which I have them. Number five, Giannis Antetokounmpo, the mm-hmm. Milwaukee Bucks. He could easily be in the top three. I think we don't really appreciate too much anymore what he's been able to do since he captured back-to-back MVPs two seasons ago. But, man, he got Milwaukee among the creme de la creme in the East still and is managing to do it without Chris Middleton in the fold, without Drew Holiday on yeah. certain nights, who hasn't always been there or been able to go do the health reasons and purposes. So I got to give him props. Number four, this is a tough guy to have in number four. I know some people got him in the top three. It's a reigning MVP, Nicole Jokic. As you said, yeah. you, you really can't argue against the numbers. He's got Denver sitting at the top of the West. Um. Could easily make a case for him being the first player since Larry Bird to capture three straight MVPs. I just don't know how you do that in this day and age where so many people fail to really take historic things in the full context. But I still got him in there nonetheless. Number three, I got Luka Doncic in. I, I couldn't leave him off personally. You know, I understand that they didn't perform up to par prior to the holidays, but the run that this man has gone on to close out the year of 2022 and coming into 2023, putting up, as I have the numbers here in front of me, the man's putting up 32, 10, 7, shooting 37% from the field, not even his best numbers, but he's still finding a way to do it. And that's scary. And we talked about the 60, 21, and 10, and what you put up, against the Knicks in that overtime win, which had to come back from nine points down in the final 30 seconds just to force overtime. We can't even talk about the 51-96 that he dropped on San Antonio on New Year's Eve. Yep. And, you know, I mean, I, I just got to give credit when it's due. And the, if it wasn't for the years in which Jason Tatum and Kevin Durant have had, I think you would have had to make the case that he's easily the front runner for the MVP award. But my top two guys, Kevin Durant, number two, I was ready to elevate him over Jason Tatum prior to the injury. I still got him number two right now because of where he has his next team with all the stuff that's going on, two and five through their first seven games. Steve Nash out. Is there trouble in Brooklyn? Jock Vaughn, who I give a ton of credit to, turning it around. But he wouldn't have been able to do it without the easy money sniper, man. He's been holding it down. And then last but not least, Jason Tatum. Man's on a mission. Got the team with the best record in basketball, putting up 30-plus, one of the five guys. To put that up, only Shea Gilders, Alexander, Luka Doncic, Joel Embiid, and and Giannis can say that. Um, I just got to give him the credit. I still think he's the MVP frontrunner even though some people would move them to number two on their list. But I want to move the show 
forward from our NBA MVP conversation to discuss a team who just a couple of years ago stood just within two wins of capturing the Larry O'Brien Trophy, who now finds themselves within the playing realm of the West playoff picture after garnering the best record in the game just last season. And that's the Phoenix Suns, who find themselves now sitting eighth in the playing picture out West. And they were sitting fourth overall in the West with a 19-13 record through 32 games. In spite of being without the services of DeAndre Aiden and Chris Paul through various stretches during the early portions of the season, the last time that we, you know, met up and recorded together. But, man, they got a lot of injuries that's happened. Cam Johnson's yet to be cleared to take part full contact drills. DeAndre Aiden's been ruled out a commission with an ankle injury prior to tip-off against the Golden State Warriors. Phoenix playing without four members of a starting five to begin the new year with Chris Paul and Devin Booker, both currently sidelined. We know the Jay Crowder situation. You know, he's looking for a new team to play for. Hasn't been able to find one yet. What, what happens during the trade deadline with him, you never know. But you expect him to be moved. How concerned do you think Suns general manager James Jones should be, man, down in the desert, bro? I think he got a lot of reasons to be concerned. This team, they're not as deep as they thought they were. And when you add on to the fact that campaign out, Landry Shaman out, seems like they're in a state of trouble. Yeah, they're in a state of trouble because, you know, I'll be honest with you, they was probably in a state of trouble since the offseason. And the real, the real reason why is because I think there's some still beef going on between DeAndre Aiden and that front office. I think some things are not fully resolved from that scar that the Phoenix left on him when they didn't give him the, the, the type of deal he wanted. Um, so I think at the, so I think some of that still plays a fact. Um, I still think that also too, they're so reliant on an elder, I don't want to say elderly, but an older Chris Paul, his body's wearing down on him. Um, this is the most he's probably been injured since his time in Phoenix. Um, you all, like you said, you also have Devin Booker who has been hurt. Um, it doesn't help that you got a player that's available that doesn't want to play. Um, and you said like your other guys, campaign, Andrew Shannon, those guys are, are out. I think Cam Johnson really is the biggest piece as to why this team is struggling too. Cause that was your best perimeter uh, player even though Mikel Bridges has been, has grown on, especially offensively when it comes to creating his own shot. But yeah, this team is not as deep as they thought they were. And with all of their best players being out, you can expect a, uh, a dip as far as, you know, them winning games and how competitive those games can be based on it, based on any given night. They're going to have to make some moves. They have to really start looking at the trade deadline to make some moves, not only to get rid of Jay Crowder, but get back some guys that can ball that are younger. Because if you keep getting uh, older vets from season to season, even though it's great, per se, to help keep you afloat for this season, if the Suns want to get back into the window of being considered the best of the best in the Western Conference, that thing is closing real quick. And they need to get their act together to remain in that conversation. They can't do it with veteran players that barely have an arm and a leg anymore. You got you to gotta get guys that can ball 
that are young. And with some of the talent that they do have, on top of getting everybody healthy, they need to start looking at making potential moves to help boost that. Otherwise, they're going to stay right in that play-in range. And they might be struggling to get past that first round if they even make it in the play-in tournament. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm looking at Phoenix right now. I see a wounded duck. And it doesn't look good. And Chris Paul, you know, that's my guy. Love him to death. You know, was a hell of a presence in Houston besides James Harden when I covered him. But like you say, he's not getting no younger. And it's times where you look at him coming off those pick and rolls where it's like he's struggling just to get a shot up. And sometimes he's passing it up because he really don't even want to take it. And that's noticeable, man. That that's very noticeable. Macau Bridges has put together a solid year. I think he's done a great job when it comes to making plays as a facilitator when called upon. He really hasn't had a choice, but he's grown in that area so much. He was one of the best all ball players in the league. Now I think we're starting to see him slowly evolve into becoming a true version of what one would consider as a two-way player. But with all that said, man, um, yeah, they definitely got to get younger. They got to get younger, and they got to get some depth at the guard spot, and they got to get some depth at the five spot. Even if they mm-hmm. are to retain DeAndre Aiden, they don't really have a solid backup big. Yep. You know, no disrespect to Doc Landale or Bismack Biombo. Doc Landale's been solid for the most part, but, like, if – like you said, they got to get younger. And, and they're going to have to get some athletes on the wing. And when you stand on, at the guard wing as well as at the center position, man, it leaves a lot to be desired. But I'm going to move back into the Suns momentarily. And I want to move on to a segment, a new segment here on Open Run. is the trade deadline is less than a month away. Several teams will be looking to either buy or sell high on the players to be involved. Welcome to part one of Buyers and Sellers, a series in which me and Josh will assess a trio of teams each week over the next few episodes to uncover whether or not we think they're a true buyer or seller on the open market. Want to start off with Sacramento Kings, 21 and 18 record, first in the Pacific Division, by a game and a half over the Warriors, Clippers, Suns, and Lakers as we speak. They sit fifth overall, as you mentioned earlier, in the West playoff picture. Sacramento currently ranks fourth in offensive rating, 24th in defensive rating, 12-9 and nine record at home, 9-9 nine nine on the road, six players in double figures. De'Aaron Fox leading the way with 23.8 points to go alongside of six times a night. Sacramento's man in the middle. DeMontis Sabonis currently averaging a double-double 18 and 12 to go alongside a team best near seven times. Been a noteworthy season for the two-time All-Star out of Gonzaga. Sacramento a buyer or they a seller? Oh, man. Um, I think right now they might sell. Really? They might sell because of one person. Harrison Barnes. As much as Harrison Barnes has been great for the Sacramento Kings, I don't know if his time might be ending over there. 
okay. with the direction that they're going, as well as the contract that he has with that to go along with that. I want to see if he has another couple of years left on that deal. So that's the case. I expect other contenders to look at Harrison Barnes and be like, maybe we can get him as a fill-in piece to help booster our bench or maybe or maybe become an elusive piece, um, depending on how their lineups look like. Could be a nice four spot, fill in for that four spot on the contender. You talk about these teams that had injuries, teams like the Bucks, they've had that had some major injuries. You talk about teams that technically could use an additional four spot. You know, imagine if he actually got the chance to, in his own way, you, you, you talk about Tim Hardaway Jr. What if you want to load Tim Hardaway Jr. bring back a Harrison Barnes? That could be a deal that could actually help Dallas, considering you move Christian Wood to that starting spot. Harrison Barnes is a better option coming off the bench than technically you would right now with Tim Hardaway Jr. And you could pair Harrison Barnes with a Josh Hardy. So I'm not saying that, you know, those type of teams will make those type of deals per se, but I can see the Kings technically selling just to get rid of one guy to bring back somebody that could be, you know, that can help with the, where the direction of this team is moving, which is younger, faster, and, you know, with experience, more growth, which is what the Kings are showing right now. So I, I can them being sellers i can't see them being buyers just yet because if you're buying that shows me you're trying to get to a deep playoff run with the current state that they're at right now i think they're just happy with the fact that they playing better than what a lot of teams expected or even they expected when it comes to their current state of where they're at in the western conference and they're going to maintain what they have there and look to maybe get rid of a contract that may not be good for them moving forward so they can have more space in the future to do things, especially maybe becoming one of those key places that from a free agent perspective may get somebody that's of a Harrison Barnes caliber level that may want to come over there and ball, knowing that this team has promise now because they're competing in the Western Conference. If I'm not mistaken, Harrison Barnes is on the last year of his deal. So that might be a, a move that they seek to make in an effort to get some assets back. You say you find Sacramento to be a seller. I personally think that they're going to be a buyer. Even if they do sell Harrison Barnes, it's like the quote you see on social media with Denzel and Jamie Foxx talking. King's leaving with something. <laughs> they're leaving with something. I'm just going to, I'm just be, I'm going to be straight up honest with you. They're they leaving with something. And I think if they can find a way to get a wing who they can implement as a small ball five and possibly serve not only to help them stretch the floor, which is what they like to do is they get up a ton of threes a night, but to defend the opposition's best wing, they'd be in good shape. One of those guys who fits that criteria is a guy that I think a lot of teams need to be calling about, including the Bulls. DJ Washington. That's a name to look out for. Wouldn't be shocked if they try and get aggressive and make a move for Kyle Kuzma while also trying to insert Keegan Murray off of the bench in a six-man role. Sacramento's in a good position. They get a little greedy if they want to. I don't think anybody expected them 
to be in the thick of the playoff race in the West, let alone atop of the Pacific Division, a division in which the Warriors have dominated, a division in which the Lakers during the Kobe Bryant era dominated. We have not seen the Sacramento Kings this good in a long time. Yeah. They got a right to be greedy. If Vivek Ranadive and his, and his front office regime want to spend some money or elevate their team atop of the West standards, this will be the year to go for it. So I'm going I'm to say that they are buying. I can definitely see that. I can definitely see that. Um, it depends on how aggressive they want to be. The Kings are not known to being aggressors when it comes to situations like this. So I don't trust that they will continue to do that. However, if, if they have that light bulb on their head, you know, that goes off in their head saying, okay, we need to strike now considering we're doing this well this season in the front uh, in, in the Western Conference and we're in the thick of the playoffs at such a high seed. Oh, yeah. I'd go crazy too to see if I can get somebody to help to help booster the uh, booster this team, especially offensively. I'll definitely be on the on board for that. And I just don't know if the Kings are that willing to be that aggressive with it, which quite frankly, it doesn't fit their nature to do so. It doesn't fit their nature, but one thing I'll say before we move on to the next team in this buyers and sellers segment, they got the longest playoff drought in North American sports right now, if I'm not mistaken. They definitely got it in the NBA. If that's not an incentive to be a buyer, I don't know what is. And they overachieved. And they got that fan base really into it right now. Yeah. Golden One Center is one of the toughest places to play in the league. Like, they, they start new traditions. They lighten up the game after they win games and whatnot. So, <laughs> I, I think they I think they ready. I think they ready, man. I think they tired of being a laughing stock. Um, and you, you saw how they was acting on TNT when they whooped Brooklyn, a couple months back, like they 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 ready for the prime time. I think at this at this period, I, I think they tired of, of being talked about in a negative light, and I think they want some shine for once and for all. But I want to move on to the next team, Chicago Bulls, nineteen to twenty two record, fourth in the Central Division, tenth overall, and a half a game behind the Atlanta Hawks, ninth in the Eastern Conference play-in picture, fifteenth in offensive efficiency, twentieth in defensive efficiency. 11 and 9 when playing at the United Center, 8 and 13 away from the familiar confines. DeMar DeRozan leads the Bulls in scoring with 26 points a night on nearly 51% from the floor through 41 games. Zach Levine has averaged 28 points and shooting over 50% from the field and 48% from three point land over his last 10 games. Nikola Vucevic averaging a double double, leading the team with nearly 11 boards a night. Are the Bulls buyers or sellers? In my opinion, I don't see them wanting to sell. I don't know if they buy high. Mm. But I do think when it's all said and done, they're going to be a buyer. It's just a matter of for who and for what. I agree with that, too. Um, Darnell Mayberry, the friend of ours, he made it known uh, via his recent report on the, on the Athletic that the Bulls most likely are not expected to make any moves, um, which, quite frankly, isn't surprising because they've been very adamant in emphasizing 
that they want to see what this core does, which means nine out of 10, they're not going to make any moves until probably next off season because they're so pretty much hell bound and that confident in the current core that they have and the current roster that they have, which I understand rightfully so, especially on paper, definitely. However, you got two guys on your roster that are not locked in long-term. DeMar DeRozan got one more year left on this deal. Vooch is, is on the last year of his deal, and there's no guarantee he's coming back. Yeah. If you're trying to look at your future and you have no confidence that you're at least getting one of those guys back, especially Vooch, you can, that's an all-star. You can't let go for nothing. You got to see what you can get back for him. And, and as much as, you know, the Bulls are playing better now with this core lineup, which, quite frankly, they started even last year around this time as the top team in the Eastern Conference, we know it can work, but there is a timeline for this current core because no one's locked in long-term outside of Zach Levine. So with DeMar playing well, Vooch is playing better, you got to see, I'm not saying you automatically trade them, but you at least see what you can get back for those guys. You got to test the market out. And if you can get a good deal for Vooch, who is the most likely the one that has to go, considering you're worried about not getting an all-star caliber player back, um, in the offseason to replace Vooch, I got to see what you can get for him. DeMar DeRozan probably has the highest value right now out of everybody on the team. I would want to see what assets I can get for DeMar DeRozan because if Vooch ain't coming back, no disrespect, I don't expect DeMar to come back the year after, after, uh, after next season. So you got to see, you, you got to see what you can get for your, for t- at least two of your three main core players just to see what goes on. And honestly, down the line, depending on how things go, you might got to include create trading Zach too. I'm just, I'm not saying they're going to go into a complete rebuild, but even though you are pretty much confirming and being, and being steadfast as far as your movement with this current roster and how you want to see this roster play out, You'd be naive to not pick up the phone and see what you can get for two of your players that are not guaranteed locked in long-term. Because that's your core, that you're following your future after outside of Zach Levine. Especially with Vooch not even guaranteed coming back next season. He has no, he he can walk. So you got to see what you can get back for those type of guys. And then at least answer the phone calls to see what's available. You may not pull the trigger, but you got to see at least what's available because time is literally short. And this window as of right now, compared to all the other teams, and um, not just in the Western Conference, but the Eastern Conference, that one, that championship window is nowhere near where the Bulls want it to be right now. And it's pretty much shut if you don't get anybody back to replace the current court you got right now. Vucevic is definitely public enemy number one on the trade block. If is anybody in this current core that I see getting moved, it is him. If you have no intentions on signing him, you have to deal him. With that said, don't know what his market is. But 
we've seen blockbuster trades before involving all-star. Now, mm -hmm. I have no sources on this trade. This is a trade that I'm just crafting up at the top of my head right now. I don't even know how the financials work, but I promise you once I'm done recording the show, I will definitely look it up to see if it can actually happen. It would not shock me if the Bulls were to trade Nikola Vucevic to the Minnesota Timberwolves in exchange for Rudy Gobert. Oh, Lord. And the only reason why I say it the only reason why I say it, the Bulls have a rebounding problem. So bad to where they need help in any area of rebounding in which they can get. Rudy Gobert can at least do that. I understand his contract ain't the best. His contract leaves a lot to be desired. But he can still do things that do not show up on the stat sheet in which this team can use and needs their starting five to do. And that's the dirty work. He does it. Now, in order for it to work, I feel Billy would have to open up his playbook more. He's going to have to run some more pick and roll sets. He and Steven Gardner were laughing amongst one another on Twitter talking about how the Bulls ran some Spain pick and roll sets against Boston back to back. That's something you don't that. see. You know, that's something you don't usually see, but you damn sure got to do it if Rudy Gobert is there. But I feel like they, they, they're going to have to make a move like that if they can't find anything better on the market for Vucevic. And the reason why I, I pose that is think about both situations. Minnesota has the paint clogged up. And as a result, Anthony Edwards ain't been able to really eat and go inside the lane and drive in the paint to get buckets like we saw him doing in the playoffs against Memphis. Cat has been forced to play at the five, which as a result takes away from the mismatches in which he was able to get it to four. When you get Vucevic over there, at least you can put Vucevic to five and move Cap back to the four. And he can do his thing. You know Vuce can step out and shoot. Bulls need a, a big man that's an enforcer in the paint and ain't just going to allow guys to get beat off backdoor cuts or whatnot. I really think that's what it comes down to. Hate to be the bear of bad news to the Bulls fans, but that could be a trade that actually happens. <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm a, I'm a real briefly give one more option because I'm sorry. If you're thinking about Rudy Gobert, it's just, oh, it's nauseating. It's not I'm option sorry. one. I, I just couldn't I do it. Not option one. I, I, I couldn't do it, but I gotta go with the one option that, although I don't think they will pull the trigger, they might listen. And that is the Phoenix Suns. Give me DeAndre Aiden. Bring well, DeAndre Aiden over here. That's the dream offer. I've been I've been talking about that over the last several months with one of my bring guys. Being bring DeAndre Aiden over here, give him a new home. We'll take him. We'll take him. Him in a pick and roll and a stretch pick and roll with Zach Levine. You can now you're now you're talking real business. It can work with Vooch. 
But knowing that that young core can be locked in long term, come on, let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. I I don't know if Jerry is that willing to go over the luxury tax or anything like that, because we all know Jerry can be a little cheap. However, if he is this go around and the Bulls really do have the green light from up, up and answer, which they have said before the season, the green, they have had the green light to do whatever it takes necessary, which includes money to make the moves they need to make, to make the Bulls the best contending team increase the chance to be the best contending team in the East. I go over the luxury task to get DeAndre Aiden over here. I'll do it. Another move I, w- I would consider too. That, that's a move I thought about, but I think if you get DeAndre Aiden, that's gonna cost you a pick. That's gonna cost you a pick, and that might cost you another player. But Vucevic, a, a deal I, I would consider. Charlotte's in need of a big man or a veteran big man. Maybe he you, you could trade Nikola Vucevic to Charlotte for a half season rental in order to take back Gordon Hayward who has some team control for half of this season as well as next year going into the last year of his deal, I believe. And then maybe P.J. Washington, and you see where that connects you. Like I said, P.J. Washington would be a guy, if I was the Bulls, I would definitely inquire about or or um, make a call for. So those are those are, those are are some trades, you know, for, for those that's taken. Because I, I don't really see Vucevic staying here unless unless he has made a guarantee in good faith that no matter what happens, he's re-signing with the Bulls. I mean, I know he just bought a property in Lincoln Park prior to the start of the season. That means we seen, though. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but I want to move forward to the last team for part one of buyers and sellers. The Phoenix Suns, 20-21 record, fourth in the Pacific Division sit eighth in the Western Conference play-in picture, eighth in offensive efficiency, 12th in defensive efficiency, 14 and seven at home, six and 14 away. Devin Booker was in the midst of a hallmark season, as you know, prior to suffering a groin injury, averaging a career best near 28 a game, all the while being within the thick of the NBA MVP discussion early on. Kyle Bridges and DeAndre Ayton have been key pillars for Phoenix this year as well. Bridges averaging a career high 15 points a night as it is recorded with 3.2 dimes a game. He's been called upon to make plays with the Rock in his hands more often than previous years, with Booker and CP3 having missed the combined 27 games this year. Is Phoenix a buyer or seller? They need to buy everything that they can. <laughs> At this point, you need to buy everything. Buy the whole shelf. I don't care. Buy the whole <laughs> shelf out the store. Because I'm watching, as we're recording this podcast right now, uh-huh. The Phoenix Suns are playing the Golden State Warriors. Yes, they're beating the Golden State Warriors right now by a nice margin. Okay, that's great. But I'm still looking at them. They ain't got no backup point guard outside of campaign. Yep. Their wing depth is very limited because you don't without Mikel without Cam Johnson, and you're you're basically solely relying on Mikel Bridges because you're not gonna have Jay Crowder. You mentioned it before. They have no big man help. DeAndre Aiden now, they screwed. You better find if, if it's not major trades, it better be some type of minor trades that helps boost with this depth on this bench. Because if the Stun starting lineup cannot stay healthy, they will not be as competitive as they need to be to maintain and improve their chances 
of getting out of the A spot where they are currently in the West. And don't and let alone, that's just the play-in. Who knows if they're running into a Denver or potentially a New Orleans in the first round. That's scary for them. So I wouldn't be buying as much as I can of the, I don't care if it's going to the store to get the ramen noodles. Buy all the ramen noodles you can get to boost up that bench with the little money you got. So that way you don't starve. Because if you starve, you're going to starve to death in the Western Conference right now. Especially with the way these young teams are thriving. Oh, no. You got to get, if you want to get back to the top, you got to be that aggressive. You got to make a dollar stretch with buying 30 cent noodles. Now, that's what you're going to have to do. And I think Phoenix has a chance to do that, especially if they're able to acquire certain assets from this Jay Crowder deal. However, James Jones, got a, he got a lot on his plate to figure that out, man. He got a lot on his plate to figure that out. And I'm glad that's, I'm glad I'm not in that seat because I don't know how you can improve this roster knowing that your caps, knowing that, knowing that you're so cap heavy right now because of your deals with Devin Booker and Mikel Bridges and DeAndre Aiden and Chris Paul. And, there, and, and out of all those four players I just mentioned, none of them are on the court. Except for one. McCall, the ultimate Iron Man, might I add. I don't believe he's missed a game in his career to date. Right. Yeah, man, and that, that's saying something in this era where so many guys on a night-to-night basis aren't able to suit up for various reasons or are being advised by management and personnel on a team not to do it. But, yeah, Phoenix is a buyer. Phoenix is a buyer. And the reason why I think Phoenix is a buyer is because they know that they have to move Jay Crowder sooner rather than later. The clock is ticking. I don't know where the best deal may come from, but it's going to be a market to watch. It's going to be a market to watch. I wouldn't be surprised if Sacramento would be interested in doing a deal with, with Phoenix to get Jay Crowder because they need some toughness and a reinforcement on their wing out there. I just don't know if Rashawn Holmes alone is an attractive enough piece for them, but he could help. Them. You know, he gives some energy in the pick and roll game, but they would need a guard as a result of that too. They, they definitely got to get a backup guard, man. They do. You got to have some Chris Paul insurance. I really wish that they would have been able to find a way to close out a deal with the Rockets for Eric Gordon when they had the chance. That was always the guy that I felt like was the missing piece to Phoenix's teams over these last couple of years. But with that said, I mean, I I think they are a buyer. They're going to be linked to damn near everybody. And one thing you brought up, and we got to keep in mind, you said they don't want to run into a team like New Orleans in round one of the playoffs. Yeah, you're right. Because you know why? New Orleans ain't forgot what happened last year. We saw these matchups during the regular season between Phoenix and New Orleans. A lot of smack talking. Mm-hmm. A lot of trash talking being done between both sides. I think the Pelicans going to be out for blood. Playing 
against the Suns, especially if they have home court advantage this time around. Not to mention Zion is ready this year. He wasn't there last year. Zion is ready this year. Hopefully so. If he stay healthy, him and Brandon Ingram, I, I think that's the only thing that's holding New Orleans back to keep it a buck with you is I having their big three on the floor all together at the same time. They got to get those guys healthy by all-star break and try and figure out a way to jail quickly to go on the run because they have so much potential. But as we get to the closing segments of this show, got to ask you, Josh, what's your top games to watch this upcoming week? We just got done talking about one of those teams, the New Orleans Pelicans. Tomorrow, Wednesday, they are playing the Boston Celtics in the TD Garden. Okay. I got to check that out. You know, got to check that out on the lead pass. But there's another game as well happening on Thursday. Primetime, baby. I know which one you're talking about. Celtics. <laughs> Celtics against the Brooklyn Nets. Kyrie yeah. against Boston? Come on now. There's always going to be some love and storylines that come along with that. But this is a different Kyrie Irving we're talking about. Even though Kyrie's always been Kyrie, this is mature Kyrie. This mature Kyrie in his game and every, as, as well as his stature, it's gonna be, that's a different beast to deal with. And I want to see how Ben Simmons plays against the big lineups, especially against guys like Robert Williams as well. Not nine out of ten, defensively, he might have to guard the next class and can't hold his own. But outside of that game, there is one more game. Just one more game I got to check out. And for me... That is the Cleveland Cavaliers against the Portland Trailblazers. Same night, Thursday. I got to see what Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell do going up against Damian Lillard and Anthony Simmons. I mean, those, that, those backcourt duos are electrifying. And I, I can't wait to see how they match up on primetime moments such as this. So those are my three games that I'm going to pay attention to for sure heading out throughout this week. Not to mention Portland with Jeremy Grant, who, as we know, is having a career year right now, averaging 22-4 for a Portland team that's within the thick of the play-in race. They kind of been faltering a little bit, but they still got some time to get it fully together over there. But my game of the week to watch you took one of them with Boston and Brooklyn. That's definitely the first one. But it's one game that I feel like not too many people have highlighted on their calendar enough. And it's on league pass. And it's a game that should be on NBA TV, or at least picked up by them. And that's on Saturday, January 14th, Memphis at Indiana. Mm. 6 p.m. Central Time. If you like stellar backcourts that feature incredible point guard play, then this is your battle. This game features one of the NBA's finest finishers in the paint, with John Morant going toe-to-toe up against one of the best and setting up his teammates and the current league leader in assists per contest in Tyrese Halliburton, who has really been the focal point behind the Pacers' offense and their success as of late. Pacers, as of this recording, they boast a 15-7 record at home this year, and they won eight out of their last 10 as well. Buddy Hill currently leads the NBA in three-point field goals. They have been knocked down 158 trades on the year through 41 games thus far on the way to shoot nearly 43% shooting-wise from beyond the arc. 
I get that Memphis is tied atop of the West with Denver and riding hot on a seven-game win streak as of this recording, which is currently the best among active winning streaks in the league. However, should this streak remain fully intact from the start of this weekend, it's a game you certainly want to have, sir, on your calendar. Might I add, this matchup also going to feature two of the game's top shot blockers and Miles Turner and Jaron Jackson Jr. also. Didn't even mention Desmond Bain, who's been a sharpshooter of his own. Like I said, if you like games with high-flying backcourts that can attack the paint, kick it out to the shooters that are knocking down with the big men, who if you bring it any wee stuff in the lane, going to reject it. This is the game. Got to mark it down, because I don't think this is going to be no easy game for Memphis at all. Those are all good games, man, but I got to throw you a curveball. I got to throw you a curveball. We are recording this. With it says this will be the last recording prior to MLK Day, Martin Luther yeah. King Jr. Day happening on Monday the 16th. You know the NBA is known for having a lot of illustrious games on the 16th of M- to celebrate it on an MLK Day. What is the MLK Day game that, in your mind, is the game for fans to watch? The MLK Day. I haven't really seen a lineup, man, in the NBA. I know, of course, you got Memphis. You got games in Atlanta, which are the pillars for MLK Day. But just mm-hmm. looking at the schedule, bro, right now, I say Pelicans and Cavs. That's a game people need to have highlighted. That that's that would be a game that really should be on the national schedule if they still did like three games if it went for NFL wildcard weekend getting in the way. So I, I say that's a game I have on, on my TV through league pass at 2 o'clock Central Time. Okay, I just want to make sure because you know it's on my roster. You know it's on my <laughs> you know it's on my roster. But um, I think another game that I do would like, I really do would like to check out, is obviously the primetime game Phoenix and Memphis. Man, uh, obviously we know Phoenix is you know hurt, and we just got done talking about them throughout the show. But you know, anytime you talk about Memphis. You got to talk about Martin Luther King and all, and unfortunately what, what is connected to it, which it does involve his assassination. But Memphis is a different team, man. And you know how as sad as that occasion in that city could be, it's that much more electrifying when John Moran walks into your building. And with that being the homestand, too, I want to see how Phoenix, hold, you know, upholds himself against a thriving Grizzlies team who you just mentioned, who top shot blocker and Jaron Jackson. And electrifying player and and John Moran with sharpshooter and Desmond Bain, you know, seeing it up close was a special highlight to see. I know it's going to be something special for the national world to watch on a national platform like the Grizzlies and Suns will be playing. Absolutely. But I want to thank everybody for taking the time out to check in and check out another edition of the Open Run podcast presented by War Media. Make sure to check out everything that we got across our YouTube channel at War Media and all of our great content on our Substack page. Myself, Gabriel Wilkins, my man, Josh Hicks. So long, everybody.